Who knows what this is? It's a Bible. It is the Word of God. As such, it being the inspired, holy, pure Word of God, we come underneath it. When the Bible says do something, we do it. When the Bible says not to do something, we don't do it or find ways to do it. It's what it says about Jesus, we believe. And what we believe is that not just certain scriptures are about Jesus, but it's about Jesus from the front to the back. And so today what we're going to do is we are going to preach from that. Our, our goal and our, 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 uh, our aim is always to preach and to teach from God's word. Uh, Paul tells Timothy, dedicate yourself to the public declaration of the word of God. Not the public dedication or public declaration of the latest book or the latest fad or the latest trend or what people are accepting. Don't dedicate yourself to that which will be easily accessible. Preach the word of God. And that might be hard for us at times, but I find it's not hard to understand. It's hard because it tells us not to or to do something. And it's not that we don't understand it. It's that we disagree with it. And we want, to, we want to rewrite what God has said. Unfortunately, we can't do that. We're going to read what God has said, and then we are going to pray and ask and seek Jesus, that he might help us fulfill and do what he has called us to do already. So turn your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 5, and we are going to continue our, our sermon series in the book of Galatians, The Return of the Gospel. A little bit of backdrop in case this is your first sermon uh, in this series. The Galatian church was started by a man named Paul. We know him as the Apostle Paul of the New Testament. He starts uh, the church, and then he leaves to go start other churches, as was his tendency. It's what he did. It's how God used him. So he starts churches, and so this church, in a day and an age before mass transportation, social media, internet, uh, television, radio, no way to communicate other than maybe mailing a letter of some sort, he leaves. The church in Galatia begins to go downhill. Because of outright you know, blatant sin? No. False teachers have come in to preach a different gospel. And the Galatians think, okay, it's the gospel. Maybe it's just a different variation or a different form. And so we're going to apply these, these – they didn't call them bad teachings, but they're going to apply these new teachings, and, and they're going to enhance the gospel. Some 10, 15 years later, Paul gets wind of this, and then he writes them a letter. He sends them a message about what's been going on. And he starts off in chapter 1 by telling them, look, there is only one gospel message. That Jesus is God, that he's come in the form of a man to die for the sins of men. That he himself is holy, blameless, and pure, dying for those who are, well, let's face it, we, 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 we deserve the just wrath of God. But he steps in, in our place, dies uh, for us, so that we can be found righteous before God through faith. And he tells them that's the only gospel message. There is, no, there is no variation. There's no uh, chicken soup for the gospel soul. There's no, there's no different form of the gospel. He even goes as far as to say, even if I were to bring you a different gospel, don't listen to me. The gospel I brought you originally, that's still the message 10, 15, 20 years later. Nothing has changed. Jesus still God. Jesus still died. Jesus still alive. And we still pursue him through faith. Now, where the Galatians got it wrong is, is they added to their faith. Well, 
Let, yes, we understand faith and the gospel message, but let's add to it. Let's add religious things to it. And one of the things they added to it was circumcision. So that 2,000 years later, a man who does not want to preach about circumcision has to preach about circumcision. By show of hands, does everybody know what circumcision is? Okay. So a little bit of history, and not to be, not to, I, I just, if it's in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we have to share it. Circumcision is the cutting off of the foreskin of a man's penis. Okay? There you go. You get what you pay for. So that's circumcision. Now, circumcision in and of itself is not exclusive to Christianity or Judaism. Where we have a variation of it is that God commanded, gave Abraham this covenant, I believe in Genesis chapter 17, to, to circumcise every male of their household, which makes Abraham the greatest salesman on the face of the earth that's ever existed, and his household, and then every child born on the eighth day. Now, what makes it different is that they circumcise children. Other cultures of that day and time, and even today, will, will practice circumcision as a rite of passage into manhood. So a 12 or 13-year-old boy who's going to become a man, this becomes part of that. Okay? Praise God we don't adhere to that type of a culture. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, let's turn there. I should have turned there already, but I didn't, so bear with me. 5 and 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Contextually, the slavery that Paul is preaching on is, is not only sin, Satan, and death, but the slavery is the slavery of religion. He, he's telling the Galatian church, you've been freed from this. The, the chains have been broken, and the bad news is, is they went back to the chains and, 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 and missed the, the, the familiarity of them. Verse 2, Paul says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, there it is, Christ you will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Now, don't miss the wordplay in verse 4. We know what circumcision is, right? You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Like the foreskin it has been severed away. Paul says, you have been severed. Later on in verse 12, he'll say, I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. That they'd go beyond the cutting of just the foreskin. Very harsh language that Paul is using. If you think that the Bible is a precious moments uh, mural that's just written down, and, and you, you see the Noah's Ark and baby's uh, cribs and, and nursery themes, and you see the Bible is just fluffy and white, read Galatians chapter 5 and realize that the God of the universe is serious when it comes to things like sin and serious when it comes to things like religion. And that, that harsh language, while it's not our go-to, there is a time and a place to use it. Not crude language, not language that, that demeans another or, or takes away the rights of another one, but when it comes time to say things like, I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves, there is a time and place to do that with candor, with, 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 uh, with gentleness, if you will, somehow a, a harsh gentleness, but that is allowed. And that Paul uses this metaphor and wordplay, I think it's amazing that he, that he just lays into the Galatians that way. 
you might say, Pastor Tony, shouldn't we, you know, because just in a few moments, Paul will say, you know, if there's someone who is backsliding, come to them in gentleness. There's a time where this is gentle. There's a time where somebody has their foot stuck, maybe maybe somewhere, and you're trying to help them get out, and you're just, you're just tugging. But if they have their, their foot stuck in a, in a railroad track, and there's a train coming, gentleness changes. Now you're pulling, now you're even considering severing the foot, because why would you rather die than, than lose a foot, right? All of a sudden, gentleness changes a little bit. Now, that's not always the case, but there is a time and a place for it. So don't be afraid of folks who will spread the gospel to you, share with you, and and bring correction and rebuking. Pray about it. Allow, Allow it to seep in. Get angry, get over the anger, and then get to the heart of the issue. I've had people tell me things. You preach too long. Why I oughta? That's my instant reaction. But what do you mean? I got scripture. I got verse that allow me to preach a long time. And I have to say, wait a minute. Okay, I need to get to the heart of the issue. Whether I'm right or they're right or I'm wrong or they're wrong, really at this point, anger is clouding everything. Got to push through that. Got to get through that. Can't suppress it. Got to go through it. Okay? So we allow ourselves to feel that. It's an emotion. It's an emotion that, that God has. And he uses it correctly, man uses it incorrectly, okay? <clears throat> but going back, to the, going back to the sermon, verse 5, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now, I want you to put yourself in first century Galatia. You're a man. You're going to this new church that a man named Paul started some time ago. You heard the gospel message, you were liberated, and then all of a sudden men came in and said, yes, you've been liberated, but to maintain that liberation you need to be circumcised. So you signed up, and you went to Circumcision Sunday, which will not be one that we have here. Sunday, Sunday is enough for us. Circumcision Sunday, not going to happen. They show up for Circumcision Sunday, and then they get a letter getting being told by Paul it counts for nothing. You've mutilated part of your body as a man, and now you get a letter saying that meant nothing. Can you imagine the, 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 the anger, the sadness, the depression, the, the wanting to lash out at the false teachers? All right, then you're there. Good. Verse 7 or verse 6. For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Verse 7 says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Verse 13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. We're going to focus on just a couple verses today. Verses 5 and 6. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. 
How many people like waiting? Okay, maybe the desired outcome will cause you to wait in a nice manner. Um, so maybe if you're waiting for something like your birthday that we celebrate today, you, you, you're you anxious, but you're hopeful. You're like, ah, birthday, cake and ice cream and presents, yeah. But maybe if you're at the DMV, even if you get what you wait for, you're still at the DMV, right? And you know that no matter which forms you have and no matter what you've come in for, everything's going to be wrong. If you've ever gone into the DMV thinking, I have everything I need. This should be an easy transaction. I guarantee you at least an hour of your life will be wasted at the DMV because they will give you another form or another fee. And I think that sometimes God just gives us glimpses into hell through things like the DMV. And if you work at the DMV, I, I ask for your grace, but you probably know better than I do because you're on the opposite end of the people like me who are tired of waiting, right? Now, waiting, if something great is going to happen, then waiting is a little easier, but we still don't like to wait. I have a Keurig. Does anybody have a Keurig? Great. It's, it's just an amazing contraption. Coffee, I, there's eight seconds of separation between me and coffee. That's good. But I find myself now going, come on! This is eight seconds of my life I'm not getting back. And then you have to go back to a normal pot of coffee? Oh my gosh, that's like going from, uh, it's just, it's, it's horrible <laughs> to go from a curing to a coffee pot. You have to wait like forever. And if you've got one of those coffee pots that you can't just pull out while it's brewing, gosh, you're wasting half your life just waiting for a cup of coffee. All, by that time, the anger set in and you're, you know, coffee's not going to help anymore. We don't like to wait. And the Bible keeps telling us to wait. And God keeps telling us to wait. And he doesn't just say wait. Look at that word right there. Eagerly wait. <laughs> Eagerly. Be happy about it. Be, be ready to do it. Now, let's take away waiting. Let's just talk about being eager. There are jobs we are eager to do. And there are jobs we're not so eager to do. Remember the DMV? Nobody's ever eager to go to the DMV, right? And I hate to bash on them, but they're such an easy, low-hanging fruit. It's just an easy joke. Eagerly. And how many people love Christmas? It's almost Christmas time. And I know you're saying it's August. It's still summer. I don't care. Christmas will be here soon. There's like something like 18 Sundays left before Christmas. Yeah. I measure life in Sundays, so that's... Christmas will be here. And I, I keep thinking I'm going to grow out of it, but at 36, I still eagerly wait for Christmas morning to open up presents. And I don't care if it's a tie. I don't care if it's an iPad. Whatever it is in between, it's a present. I just want to open it. It's fun. I want to watch my kids open up every present. My wife's like, you've got to stop buying them presents. I can't. I, I just can't. I can't, I, I, I want to see them open it. And yeah, dad got me that. That's what I wanted. Eagerly waiting. I understand eagerly waiting. But not when it comes to waiting for God. Because he, he's not slow, according to his timetable. <laughs> but he, man, sometimes he takes forever, right? And I don't say that in a bad way. I know God's timing and sometimes unanswered prayers, Garth Brooks, whatever. I get it. But come on, when you're in the thick of things, when you're waiting to figure out how you're going to pay your mortgage, 
or, or, or you're waiting for the test results or you're going through some type of chemotherapy or some type of, uh, uh, of, of a treatment to help you with some type of ailment or, or your marriage is falling apart and crumbling or you, you just can't seem to get a grip on life in general. Eagerly waiting is not a lot of fun. Eagerly waiting is the last thing you want to do. You want to gingerly sprint right through all of it. You want to just get to the heart. If this is the issue, I want to be done. And the Bible says, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Here's the danger of folks who don't eagerly wait. They begin to make the process go faster under their own power. I think of a man like Abraham, given a promise that he would have a son from his own body. It would be this great it would be this great gift that God was giving him, part of his genealogy. He would be, you know, the Messiah would come through him, but this son would be born to him. And after a few years of not having a child, him and his wife decide, let's make this happen. So let's have you, let's have you, Abraham, have sexual relations with my handmaiden, Hagar, beautiful name, Hagar, and, and just, and we'll make this happen. We'll get her pregnant. She'll be our surrogate and she will bear our child. How's that turn out? Millennia later, these people are still fighting. How did, it, how did it work out for Abraham when he decided, you know what, I'll do something about this? Didn't work out so well. And he's not the only example. Tons of men and women of the Bible who hear from God and are told to wait decide, nah, I'm just going to do it myself. And they end up in a lot of pain. The Galatians were not eagerly waiting so they begin to introduce religion. Religion is, is man's way of getting through the eagerly waiting part. Religion is man's way of, of making it feel like I've done something. Okay, I've lit a candle. God must have heard me. I went to church. I fulfilled my quota. I did something religious. Hence, God is closer to me than I once was. It gives us something to measure. It makes us feel like we've done something. And at the end, Paul says, it counts for nothing. How many people love football? Love football? I love football. I like football too much. I took a big hiatus from football. I mean, professional NFL football. You know, Arena League is good. It's kind of like decaf coffee. Not really the real thing. Um, took a hiatus in early on in my ministry because <laughs> Sunday is football and church. Church wins, right? Um, but there's been some, uh, there's been ways to enjoy it over these last couple of years. And the team that I love, the 49ers, are really good now. I'm kind of glad that all kind of coincides. And so right now, I don't care how much you clear your throat, Angel. We're not mentioning any other team. It's preseason, and and it's good. It's 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 football, but it doesn't count. And so there are teams that are just killing it right now. They're doing so great. But when the season starts, none of it counts anymore. And it's kind of like, ah, my team scored a touchdown. But it doesn't count. And teams are like, yeah, we're going to the Super Bowl. We just beat the second string team 45 to nothing. Yeah, it doesn't count, pal. Those are usually Cowboys fans. <laughs> it doesn't count. How many people have ever done something? Going back to the D DMV because, hey, we've got a dead horse. Let's just beat it. You go to the DMV and you have those forms filled out and you get there and they tell you something like, oh, those, count, those forms don't mean anything. They don't apply to what you're doing. 
You've wasted part of your life. You invested yourself in those forms or whatever you gathered. And now it means nothing. I hate that feeling. I hate feeling like I've done something only to find out that it doesn't count. I hate that, that, I, would, that I would pray or seek God or do something and then find out later I did it wrong that whole time. And in that comes the danger of hardening our hearts and saying, you know, I've gone too far to turn back. I'm just going to have to keep doing it this way. I've been, I've been this way for 20 years. I just have to, I have to keep following this same path. No, you don't. There are ways to pursue God that count, and there are ways to pursue God that do not count. They don't matter. Things like circumcision. Does this say circumcision or uncircumcision is wrong? No. It does not say it's wrong either way. It says it's wrong to say that circumcision is required to have faith in Jesus. So a man who is uncircumcised and a man who is circumcised both love Jesus. They both love Jesus. Their circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't matter for anything. This guy lights candles. This one doesn't. It doesn't matter. That does not draw them closer to God. This one has faith in Jesus. This one has faith in Jesus. Now something counts. We eagerly await. There's a whole process here. For through the Spirit. That's the first part. If If you're more mathematically inclined, let's get it mathematical for a moment. For through the Spirit, that's where we start. Don't be deceived that you in and of yourself, by your own power, pursue God. If I could give you a a mental picture, God's behind you, pushing you. God's in front of you, leading you. God's beside you, walking with you. He is all around you, getting you down that path that is narrow and straight and led by Jesus. It starts with the Holy Spirit. How do you get the Holy Spirit? Not by coming up to an altar and asking for it. You're given the Holy Spirit through Jesus. He has given you the Holy Spirit through faith in him. It's a depo- it starts off as a deposit. If you've ever bought a home or bought a car, something that costs a lot of money, and you give them your contract or your offer, you give them a deposit. What does that mean to the person who's selling something? It means, look, I'm serious. I am I am. This is a legitimate offer. I worked in real estate for a while. We'd have people come in and make offers on homes. No down payment, no deposit. Okay, let's go run your credit. Come to find out they had no money or credit to buy a home. They just wanted to, to make an offer and play around, I guess. And I had nothing better to do because I'm a horrible salesman. So, you know, found out at the end of the day, you can't buy a house. I'm just wasting my time. But people came with a deposit. Oh, okay, you're serious. You've brought in, you know, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars to show the the seller that you're serious about purchasing their home. Jesus has given us the down payment or the deposit of the Holy Spirit as a promissory note that He will be returning. As Christians, just as a side note, we we, we have to live in the light of Jesus' return. Jesus will return one day. Don't push that off into the ethereal and and, and in the clouds and just, oh, Jesus coming back. No, he literally will come back one day. He literally will take us back to be with him. We will be face to face with him. We will give an account of our lives. And if we are in Christ, that will go well. And if we are not, that will go bad. We start through the spirit. 
We start empowered by God, led by God, companioned by God. By faith. Some, some of you think, okay, if I, if I just have faith in what I want, I'll get what I want. That is false. The Bible, the New Testament specifically, whenever it speaks of faith, it's speaking about faith in Christ. You want something? Okay, we all want stuff. I know that. It's not wrong to want stuff. I like things like guitars, and I like toys. Yes, toys. I like video games. I like cooking. I like living in a house with a roof that doesn't leak and having heat, right? Anybody else like that one? I may have lost you at video games, but houses with heat, yeah, we're all on board with that, right? And so sometimes we need or want stuff, and that's okay. The problem is we have faith in the stuff or getting the stuff and not faith in Christ. Big difference. When you have faith in Christ, you're, you're free, as Paul said in Galatians 5.1, you're now free from this religion that says you must maintain this relationship so that God gives you stuff. Instead, it says, I have faith that God loves me, and if I don't get the stuff, he's better at knowing what I need than I am. And I might think I need something legitimately, but if I'm not getting it, then I'm going to believe that God doesn't think I do. And that's, that's, a, tough, that's a tough doctrine to follow. But most truth is. By faith in Jesus, excuse me, where is your faith? Is your faith in Christ or is your faith, faith in stuff? Please, I would, I would ask that you would just move it from stuff to, to Jesus. To believe that what he is doing is better than what you could ever want or do. So through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. So if that doesn't count, what does count? Only faith working through love. Don't mistake waiting for idleness or laziness. Waiting doesn't mean do nothing. It means do nothing that tries to help God. But there's still a way to do stuff while you're anxiously waiting. If you're, I'm going to say this is probably more the ladies than the men. Maybe I'm stereotyping and that's okay. Most ladies that I know are great multitaskers. You're always doing something while you're doing something else. It's crazy. My wife will ask me, do this, 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 and this, and she'll come home and three things will be done. Well, why didn't you get that done? Because I do things one at a time. I don't multitask. You know, I was busy looking at my phone and couldn't wash the dishes at the same time. Come on. Multitask. But ladies, you guys are nuts. And some of you men can do this too, and that's okay. But women, you just, you're great at it. It's how you're wired, and that's great. This is spiritual multitasking, if you will. If you are waiting, eagerly waiting, if you are waiting for the righteousness that comes from Christ, what that means is you're waiting for the return of Jesus. Romans chapter 8 says, even creation groans and waits for the, for the, the, the making correct of all things in the world. As we anxiously await, or we eagerly await, I should say, the return of Jesus, what should we be doing? Love. Loving one another. First, the household of faith, the Bible says, but then our neighbor as well. How can we serve and do for others? Not so that we're made right before God, but because we are made right before God. Because Christ has saved us from sin, Satan, death, religion, that we now want to go and serve others and show them how great Jesus is. 
Now, don't be fooled. Here's what generations after mine are being deceived into. And it's a, it's a, it's, for me, as a preacher and a minister of the gospel, it's a red flag. You don't have to, to say the gospel. You only have to act the gospel or do the gospel. Now, there's great truth in that. You, you should, your actions should back up your words. But you can't ever forsake the preaching of the gospel of Jesus through words. The power is in what? The name of Jesus. And dedicate us to what? The public declaration of the word of God. There will come a time where you will have to give an account. You will have to tell people why you believe what you believe. It can't be either or. People who only talk a good game but can't back it up, bad witness. People who only back it up but never speak it, bad witness. It's got to be both. You've got to be able to live it and talk it and preach it and back it up with your actions. I love Jesus and my neighbors, so I love my neighbors. I believe that we should repent of our sins, so I repent of my sins. I believe that Jesus is my everything, so I make Jesus my everything. I believe that the word of God is true, so I don't change it. I simply share it and preach it and teach it and give it and love those that I am preaching it to. I once heard it said that, that it's not wrong to tell people that they're going to hell as long as you don't have a smile on your face when you're saying it. Like the person with their foot stuck in the track. You, you, can't, just, you can't just walk over and just, hey, we're going to just tug on your pants a little bit. No, do this, do that. Let me help you. Let me get help. Let me say something to help you get your foot out of there. If someone's in a burning building, get out of the building. It's on fire. Don't you see it? You can't just walk around inside of a non-burning building. Oh, I hope they get my example. I'm living in a non-burning building. See, I'm living. You're not going to be soon. You got to go over there. Your building's on fire. Without Jesus, hell awaits. And eternity is a really long time. And the way that Jesus talks about hell, it sounds really hot. And so eternal damnation is more than just a hot place for a long time. It's eternal separation from God. See, today you woke up with a choice. Ah, I should or I shouldn't. I can serve God or not. But there will come a point where that will stop. And you will end up in a place where that choice is no longer a choice. And it will be the only thing you want. And so today's message is an encouragement. And it's a, it's a correction. And it's a warning. Don't waste your life in religion. Don't waste your life developing a process of steps. You want to know one of the things that just irked me the most besides the DMV, besides the Dallas Cowboys? It's books that say five steps to this, seven steps to that. Have a new this by Friday. By Friday, really? Follow my steps and you will have this. That works for people who aren't real people. If you're like me, you live in real time, you have real pain, you have real issues, you have real questions, and, and accomplishing that by Friday or through seven steps is just not going to happen. And so in that realness, we go to the Word of God, and we eagerly wait, and the eagerly waiting will be greatly rewarded, not with stuff, but with Jesus. Close your eyes for just a moment. Imagine yourself face-to-face -face with Jesus.
I don't care if it's if it's something that's been painted or something you've seen on television or or in a movie. Just whatever you see when you see Jesus, He is there. You are. You could feel His breath on your face. That's how close you are. Imagine yourself in His presence, perfect and holy. You read the Book of Revelation. He's not gentle Jesus with the lambs anymore. He's warrior, king, conquering Jesus. And you're standing before him. Now open your eyes. That will be a reality someday. And it will be a reality to those who put their faith in Christ and what he has done on the cross. We have a cross here, not because, not because we want to be reminded of the, the morbidness of the, of the cross, but we want to be reminded of, of how great our sin was how great the price he paid was, and that it's empty because Jesus has conquered the cross or is, he has conquered sin, Satan, and death. And now, and if you move into that, if you exercise your faith in Christ, it doesn't make life easier. But now life has a purpose. God has this great word. It's called redeem. Anybody here know what redeem means? Redeem, redeem is the only word that helps me when I feel as though I've wasted something. When I feel as though I've done something that hasn't counted, I mean, I know that what I've done was, was wrong or foolish or I just took the wrong path and, and should have gone left instead of right. The only thing that brings consolation is the fact that God redeems. And here's what I mean by that. Some of you have gone through life and you have been hurt in the most realist sense of that word. Someone has sinned against you and hurt you, and taken advantage of you. And I'm here to tell you that that is the worst. And I'm going to go right out and say, it sucks. It is the worst to have that happen, and it is, is not something you deserved. But here's what I want to encourage you with. God wants to use that. He wants to redeem that to help others. Because while you're the only one that's gone through your particular pain, there are others who are suffering like you, and they need the light of Christ to come through not a perfect vessel, but a vessel that's been broken and put back together. Through, through a light that, that shines from Jesus first. They need that. You need that. We need Christ. At the end of the day, that's the big idea. We need Jesus. And whether you feel like you're nailing it day in and day out, or if you're just like, I just hope today doesn't envelop me in all of its burdens. We need Jesus to help us eagerly await his return and how, how great that's going to be. Let's stand. Bob, if you can come up and play a little bit of music, that'd be great. Two-pronged message here today. One, we must be busy doing what counts. If it doesn't count, we're wasting our time. And we need to be reminded that Jesus is returning, that Jesus will come, that Jesus loves us. And that we can eagerly await if our focus is Jesus. If our focus is anything else, we won't eagerly wait. But the command remains. Let's not waste our time. Let's do what matters. And that will be the best way that we can eagerly wait. Serve others, serve Christ, serve the church and glorify him. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you today. I will be the first to tell you I do not like to wait. I don't like to eagerly wait for things that will be taking a long time to get here. And that's not 
an accusation of you, Lord. Your word says that you aren't you aren't lazy, you aren't waiting, but that you have a perfect timetable. That you are long-suffering, waiting for those to come to know you. Like a dad who's waiting for his kid to come home, you are long-suffering in that way. So, Father, we just pray that you would help us to wait. To even glorify you in waiting as we so that we don't remain idle or, or do nothing, but that we go and we serve and we love. That we do the work that counts. That when we get to that, that place in the book of Revelation where, where everyone's enthroned all around you or they're, they're, they're all around you, around your throne, that, that they're worshiping you and praising you, Lord, that, that we will see that the things that we have done that counted really did count. That real lives are there because God used us as a mouthpiece or as an example or as a testimony to his goodness. Father, help us not to waste our testimony. And Father, for us that have just done things that don't count, we, we've, we've just wasted time, whether foolishly or maybe we thought we were making the right decision, Lord. Redeem that time. Redeem those things, Lord, so that, so that even time that was wasted can be used. And Father, now I, I just, I pray for those who have been hurt today, Lord. I pray for those who have been taken advantage of emotionally and physically and sexually. For those who have just been abused or hurt, Lord, I pray that you would bring healing to their hearts today. But you would do more than just bring healing. That you would take back the ground that Satan has snatched away through redeeming even those experiences to be used for those who are hurting and suffering and are alone who feel as though life has happened to them and, and, and they've been taken advantage of and they've been hurt and there's no one to understand. And I pray, Lord, that this would be a day of salvation for all of your people, but especially those who have ne maybe never given their life to you today. And please keep your eyes closed. Keep your heads down. Raise your hand if today is the day that you are going to give your life to Jesus. This is not... Oh gosh, I don't want to, I just want to warn you like the person outside of the burning building that today is the day to give your life to Jesus. That you're in a burning building and that you need to get out and that God has made a way through his son Jesus. If today is that day for you, please, in privacy, just raise your hand. If today's the day where, gosh, you knew this truth, but now... You've, you've wandered and you've gone astray, but now, gosh, you hear God's voice calling you back. Raise your hand. That today would be the day of restoration and redemption. Jesus, I pray for those who have raised their hands. And I pray, Lord, that you are glorified. That this life today, even today, would begin. That you wouldn't just... That you, would, that you would show us, lead us, guide us, pushing us, com being companion with us, Lord, down the straight and narrow path. For those who are brave enough to raise their hands, Lord, I pray that you'd bless them. For those who, who wouldn't or that, that, that maybe are just still asking and seeking, Lord, I pray that you'd bless them as well. 
with answers to their questions. I pray that you would find them where they're at and lead them. That if it should not happen right now, that maybe maybe today or later as the sermon sort of sort of sets in and is confirmed through through other sources and confirmed outside of these walls, may they find you there waiting. We give you the praise today in Jesus' name. Amen.